Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, conversations with today's top ministry leaders to help you lead better every day. And now podcasting from scenic Colorado Springs, Colorado, here's your host, Jason Day. We have another great episode for you here on the Church Leaders Podcast. Welcome, friends. I had an excellent conversation with Ken Shigematsu, pastor of 10th Church in Vancouver, British Columbia, one of the largest and most diverse city center churches in all of Canada. Ken is the author of God is My Everything, which was named Christian Living Book of the Year. And his latest book, Survival Guide for the Soul, has been praised by fellow pastors such as John Ortberg and Max Lucado and is now available from Zondervan. In this episode, Ken and I talk about a challenging topic for ministry leaders, and that is the temptation to validate ourselves through achievement. Ken shares about the internal battle we experience between our striving self and our soulful self, and he offers practical ways to help orient our lives so our souls flourish in Christ in the midst of the demands of ministry. Ken's gentle spirit and desire to remain centered on Christ is inspiring, so please join me in my conversation with Ken Shigematsu. Ken, thank you for joining us today, and welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast. Thank you, Jason. It's great to be talking to you. I appreciate what you do. Awesome, brother. Now, we live in a society that is competitive, right? And that's, it's, uh, that's mm. not news to us, right? It's a society that focuses on achievement, often makes us feel as if our worth is tied directly to our level of production. And as pastors and ministry leaders, we are not immune to the weight of those same expectations of feeling like we always have to be doing more and more to somehow validate ourselves. And I've had so many conversations with pastors about this, and I'm sure there are many listening today that are feeling this weight. Now, Ken, as a pastor yourself, why do you think this is such a challenge for ministry leaders? Yeah, it's definitely true for ministry leaders. Before I became a pastor, I was working in the corporate world in Tokyo, and I was what they called a 7-Eleven man. Jason, I'm not sure if you're familiar with that term, but it basically meant my workday went from 7 in the morning till 11 at night or later even, and oh so my. things were pretty intense up there. Yeah, sounds like it. Yeah, and uh, when I eventually became a pastor here in Vancouver, I thought, Things are going to settle down for me. It's going to be a much more idyllic kind of life. But I found myself feeling really pressured. I came to a church that had cycled through 20 pastors in 20 years, mm. had gone from over 1,000 to 100 and something. And on one of my first days here at the church, the secretary walked into my office and said, Ken, if the ship sinks now, meaning the church, everyone will blame you because you were the last captain at the helm. Mm. I think she was trying to motivate me to work harder, or <laughs> just sort of depress me. But I found that uh, just as was true when I was working in the corporate world and felt this pressure to perform, I felt it in ministry as well. And as the pastors and Christian leaders that are listening to us know, we can say that God loves us irrespective of what we produce, and yet for a lot of us, our self-esteem is still dependent on our success, our outward appearance, you know, what we're doing, how we're performing. And, and you know, that's one of the ironies of, of being in ministry. We can preach the love of God and yet live as though our worthiness is dependent on what we accomplish. Yeah. Why, why do you think that that is true? You know, what, what around us, you know, either as, as people ourselves or culture, society makes that pressure 
so real to us as pastors? Yeah, if we were born, say, 200 years ago, our life trajectory was probably determined by the family we were born into or our source of circumstances. And now we live in a time where we can advance professionally and socially. That's exciting. Uh, We're told, many of us from the time we were young, that if you only work hard enough, you can be anything you want to be. And in a way, that's a beautiful message, but what if you don't end up becoming really (laughs) successful or you know, well-known or, or, or powerful, then you can feel like a failure or worse yet, a loser in a way that might not have been true, say, 200 years ago when your life station was determined by your birth and where you were born. And in our culture, uh, we tend to define greatness as something being big and well-known and financially flourishing. You know, just yesterday I was reading Teresa of Avila, uh, her interior castle from the 16th century, and she says that, you know, a greatness of a ministry shouldn't be measured by its size, but by the love it offers for God. And uh, that's something that's hard to measure, but but we live in a society that tends to count and measure, and, and so pastors are not immune to that kind of influence. Yeah, in your newest book, Survival Guide for the Soul, you share about the temptation to pursue significance through this achievement and how that can really be an obstacle to our spiritual development, right? And and one of the things that I found really helpful is you, you talked about the divided self, and you described it as two atoms. And to be clear, I'm not talking about atoms like the basic building blocks of matter, but atoms right. <laughs> as in Adam and Eve, right? So you refer to these two atoms as striving atom and soulful atom, or maybe for our lady listeners, uh, we could probably say striving Eve and soulful Eve, right? Sure, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, can, can you share with us ab- about this concept and this kind of the battle that's going internally? Mm-hmm. Uh, Rabbi Joseph Soltsevichik observed that in the book of Genesis, in the opening chapters, there seem to be two different portrayals of Adam. So in Genesis chapter 1, Adam is ambitious. He's called to fill the earth and subdue it. And in our modern context, this Adam would want to create a business, conquer disease, build a large church. And we have this, this ambitious, what I call, striving Adam inside us. But as we go to Genesis chapter 2, we see a different persona of Adam. This Adam is called to a garden to humbly serve it. He's lonely until Eve appears. He yearns for a connection with God. And I call this Adam, soulful Adam. And within each of us, we have a kind of striving Adam or Eve. We have a soulful Adam or Eve. Uh, Both are needed, but as we've been talking about, our society puts the spotlight on the ambitious Adam or the ambitious Eve, the one who is driven to produce and we tend to neglect our connection with God and and people right around us. And so part of the reason I wrote Survival Guide for the Soul is to encourage people to cultivate the practices that help them feel connected to God themselves and and the most important people right around them. That's good. Now, what would you say, as as a pastor yourself, and you you have many friends who are pastors and colleagues, um, what would you say are some of the warning signs for pastors and ministry leaders that they are getting too caught up in striving Adam or striving Eve, you know, too caught up in this achievement? Yeah, I think one is um, you notice that a pastor down the street is 
planting a church or growing a church that seems to be flourishing in a way that yours isn't, and you start to feel envy instead of rejoicing mm. in that person's success, that, that can be a sign that uh, you know, you're pursuing something or a set of values that, that God doesn't have for you. Other warning signs would be that you're feeling tired all the time or that you're snapping at your husband or wife or your, your kids because you're, you're overworking or that you feel jet-lagged, <laughs> you feel constantly tired or you can't sleep uh, because you're stressed out. Now, obviously, as pastors, we're faced with crisis all the time, and there, there are times when uh, things are on our mind and, and we'll lose some sleep. But if this is a regular thing happening, it's probably a sign that we are pursuing things beyond God's actual will for our lives. <laughs> Uh, you know, when we're in God's will, we work hard, but there's also a peace and a serenity that comes from being in that place. Yeah, and it's almost as if we're we're running so hard and we're not replenishing ourselves in a way, mm-hmm. you know, so we're not staying, uh, you know, connected in such a way with God, uh, on you know, soulfully that, you know, it's just a striving, 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 chasing, 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 and uh, that, that wears us down. Would you say that that kind of attitude in the church is responsible for a lot of the, you know, a lot of the challenges, even the moral failings that we see in, in many uh, ministry leaders' lives? Absolutely. You know, when a person is overworked and they just feel on the edge, psychologists tell us that the so-called reptilian brain takes over and we start doing things to assuage our sense of not enoughness, to give us that dopamine hit. And, and there are healthy ways to do that, you know, exercise, uh, you know, listening to music, but there are obviously unhealthy ways to do that, whether it's pursuing porn or an affair or, you know, medicating on drinking too much or, al- or alcohol or, or, or drugs. Yeah, you know, it seems that probably for ministry leaders, it is especially challenging because the work we're doing is for the kingdom, right? So it's mm-hmm. like, man, we, you know, there's this sense of urgency. You know, people are are um, lost. They're not in a relationship with Jesus. You know, there's this grand mission of, of God's that's unfolding, and we've been invited to participate, and that's awesome, and that's blessing, it's excitement. So there's this mm-hmm. idea that, man, we've got to keep going. We've, we've got to push, push, push. So I think— it seems for me, reflecting on my own ministry, it seems that you know this is that that struggle because we're doing this for God, right? And yeah. and so I mean, achievement isn't all bad, right? Achieving mm, things no. are, are, I mean, that's important for us. So how how do you see that in in your life as a pastor or pastors and ministry leaders that you know? Kind of this, um, you know, working through that urgency and that hey, we're doing this for the Lord. Um, but not getting too caught up in that temptation to to overexert and place all the emphasis on production and achievement. Right, and I think sometimes we say that we're doing it for the Lord, and we are. Uh, that's obviously the reason we entered into vocational ministry. But sometimes we're also doing it partly for ourselves too, right. to shore up our self esteem, to make us yep. feel better about ourselves. And you know, Psalm twenty-seven reminds us that unless the Lord builds the house, and house can be translated family or temple, in the modern context, church, those who build labor in vain. And so it's important to remember that we're not the primary builders of the kingdom, it's 
Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Right. And when we realize that, we can relax. And I pray a, an old prayer on a pretty regular basis that goes something like this. It's a prayer attributed to John Wesley. And I, I pray when I feel like I'm getting too driven and, and I'm being motivated by my ego, I pray something like this. I am no longer mine, but thine. Put me to what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing or put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you, exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. And uh, sometimes it's a hard prayer to pray, uh, but that's a prayer that helps me pursue things from, from the right motives, and um, it can mitigate my fleshly ambitions in a, in a healthy sort of way. That, that's beautiful, Ken. And, and uh, to kind of key off of that, what are some additional practical things, and I know you touch a lot on this in, in your book, but what are some of those things that ministry leaders can do to really flourish spiritually. Yeah, and I offer a number of these practices in, in, in the book. Uh, but one of the things I do, Jason, in the morning is to simply sit and take some time to, to breathe deeply. I'm just going to sit for a moment right now. At any given time, I can feel like there are a thousand and eight chimpanzees jumping around in my head. <laughs> and so I find it really helpful just to take some time to sit and breathe deeply in and then out through my nose. But after just a little while, I'll start to wonder how much time has gone by. And so I'll reach for my phone, not to check my text messages, <laughs> but to open up an app called Centering Prayer. I'm opening it up right now. And I'll set the timer to maybe 20 minutes, so I'm not thinking about the time. And I continue to breathe deeply. And I'm not sure if you can hear that, Jason, but yeah. there's a bell that goes off as though we were in a monastery being called to prayer. I continue to breathe deeply through my nose. And then I start to think of all the things I ought to be doing my to-do list. And so I'll often grab my Bible, and as I did this morning, take a brief phrase from, say, the Gospel, where that blind beggar says, Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner in through my nose. Jesus, exhale through my nose. Have mercy on me, a sinner. And on the days I feel really distracted, which is fairly often, I do something that I learned from Japanese Zen monks. Uh, I'm Japanese, so I'm open to learning from other Asians. Uh, I'm open to learning from people who aren't Christians if they help me focus more on Jesus. And they say, if your mind is really busy, then just start to count. Inhale, count one. Exhale through your nose, two. Inhale through your nose, three. Exhale through your nose, four. And they say, count to ten, because, and then start the, the counting, because if you go too high, you'll start thinking about the number too much. And uh, Jason, I'm a person who lives on, on the coast here in Vancouver. I, I enjoy sailing, and 
I don't have a sailboat myself, but I've got friends who do. And sometimes I'm out in the water and I'll see salmon jumping out of the ocean at a 45 degree angle. I've seen pods of dolphins, occasionally whales. And sometimes when I'm just sitting in silence in the presence of God, I feel like I'm surrounded by this mysterious beauty that upholds me in love. And at other times when I'm meditating or out on the water, uh, on a kayak or on a sailboat, I'll see an empty garbage bag, <laughs> a Coke can that's floating, some debris. And sometimes when I'm meditating, I will feel anxiety rise up in my heart or envy at someone who seems to have a better life or more successful than me. I, I might feel anger, resentment. And I lift those up to God, and I feel purged of them. I feel cleansed. And most of the time, my meditation doesn't feel you know, particularly dramatic, or it's not like God speaks to me in an audible voice. But when I'm done the 20 minutes, the bell goes off, I feel a bit more relaxed and a bit more focused throughout the day and just a little bit more aware of Jesus. And, and meditation on a compassionate, good God is, is really changing my life in, in powerful ways. I know some of our friends and listeners might think, isn't meditation, though, a kind of self-indulgent practice when I need to be doing so many things? Hmm. You know, the neuroscience shows that if a person will meditate for 20 minutes over six weeks on a compassionate God, that they will be 100 times more likely to respond to someone who walks into the room with a disability. Hmm. And so meditation not only awakens us to a greater sense of God's love for us, but makes us more loving as well. And so I really believe that spiritual practices like meditation, the prayer of examine, which helps us become more grateful, Sabbath, in a way that they, they may seem like really simple exercises and wastes of time, but they will enable us to enjoy more deeply our relationship with God. And as a result of that, more fruitfully invite people into a relationship with that joy-evoking, hope-inspiring God. That's good, Ken. And you know what's fascinating is we look historically across um, the life of the church. In other eras, it seemed that it was more widely practiced, this idea of centering prayer and this idea mm -hmm. of, of you know just, just focusing in on, as you said, the compassionate God, focusing in on Christ and slowing down, right? and taking, mm -hmm. making the time to focus on Christ. In the world in which we live now, things seem to be moving so rapidly that that practice is often lost, even within the church, in that we're rushing ahead rather than slowing down to make sure that we're you know, fully submitted to the work of the Spirit each day, you know, as we start our day out, and focused and centered in on God and his love for us through Christ Jesus and what that means not only for us, as you've said, is that that love is poured upon us, but how that love flows out of us. Mm -hmm. And and I, I guess probably the, the answer to a lot of the questions around why that's happened is because we do live in a society that moves very, very quickly. But what encouragement would you give to pastors who have have never, you know, really spent a lot of time in centering themselves through prayer and focus on God who do feel like, man, there are lots of things that are vying for my time and my energy and my, my activity. Well, mm. What encouragement would you have for them 
Yeah, I would say that, you know, if you're working in a factory, and obviously most of our listeners are not, maybe sometimes the church feels like a factory, but I mean a literal factory. You know, if you put in 80, 100 hours, you're going to produce more widgets. But if you're a pastor or a Christian leader, then your presence and your ability to be there, attentive to God and people, is, is really important. And there comes a point where you work X number of hours, it's different for different people, and your ability to be present to God and to your family and to the folks right around you really drops off. So your ministry, even though you're working more, becomes less fruitful. And so when I came to this church, I was working 75, 80 hours a week. I was single at the time. The the, the ministry wasn't especially fruitful. I get married. I, I cut back my work week a little bit, become a parent, cut back my work week a little bit further. And ironically, the ministry becomes more fruitful because I'm not running as ragged. And my wife occasionally says to me, Jason, uh, in, in our kitchen, you're the you're the happiest pastor I know. Uh, my wife doesn't know many pastors. If she knew you and <laughs> some of our listeners, um, I'm sure my rank would be dropping really quickly. But I think part of the reason I experience happiness, and it's not because there's an absence of crisis in my life. I, I pastor a, a church in the urban center of Vancouver, so I'm faced with crisis after crisis in people's lives. But to the extent I experience uh, happiness or joy. You know, part of it is because I've been blessed with a great family and some amazing friends, but part of it is because I have these simple practices like like meditation, uh, like uh, honoring Sabbath, uh, gratitude exercises, um, a little physical exercise that, that feels like it acts as something that supports my most life-giving friendship of all, my friendship with Jesus Christ. Mm. And so my hope and prayer for our pastor friends and people in ministry would be that they would know God is alive and real in every part of their life, uh, in, in their prayers, in, in, in their ministry, but also as they connect with family, friends, as they play, as, as they rest, that they would know God in every part of their lives. And the practices can open the door to that kind of life, that kind of openness in our soul to God. Yeah, that's, that's beautiful. And you spend a lot of time focusing on many different practices, as you mentioned, you know, Sabbath, servanthood, even friendship, mm. gratitude. And one of them that you touch upon is, is simplicity. And um, you talk about a simple abundance. Can you talk to us a little bit about how, how do we live our lives? What's that relationship between gratitude and understanding Christ as Lord and then just general gratitude and this idea of, of living simply? Yeah, I think that Part of the reason why people in our society at large tend to max out their credit cards and, and get into a lot of consumer debt is because they feel that something on the inside of them is missing. And they're hoping that through some purchase that they'll get the happiness that they're longing for. You know, if we are content in our relationship with God and overflowing with gratitude for the riches that He gives us, we still need a certain amount of money to live, obviously. Uh, but we will discover that the greatest joy comes from giving, uh, from being generative. You know, um, material possessions can bring a certain level of happiness, but as Christianity and Eastern religions teach, they can only deliver the lowest rung of, of human happiness. The, the greatest happiness comes from a life of generosity and generativity 
and and our, our listeners are are really committed to that. And you know, as I think of Survival Guide for the Soul, all the the proceeds from book sales royalties will go to missions like World Vision that that serve vulnerable kids. And uh, when I was um, writing my first book, God in My Everything, I set up the contract with the publisher such that I would never receive a penny of advance or royalty money, that all the the proceeds would go to a fund that would support missions. And we were recently able to give away $300,000 of, of gifts to missions in Cambodia that work with orphans. That included a generous gift from our faith community as well. And I felt a lot of joy in that, a, a lot of wonder. And, you know, as folks know, um, through the words of Jesus, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And as we live simply, as someone has said, uh, we enable others to simply live. And uh, that's something that that creates a wellspring of, of gratitude and, and joy in us. I know that your book, you know, Zondervan's publishing your book, Survival Guide for the Soul. It's excellent stuff. And, and one of the things that, and you've even touched upon in our conversation here, is that really from your experiences being Japanese, you know, you, you draw both on Eastern and Western perspectives in, um, you know, how, how you live your life, obviously, ministry, your life with Christ. Some people, sometimes in the church, People get a little weirded out, to be just blunt, about that sort of a thing. Uh, can you talk to us a little bit about how you see your relationship with Jesus Christ and um, how you uh, feel comfortable taking from you know different learnings and different traditions in such a way that it does not harm your you know your devotion to Jesus? Yeah, is that said earlier, I really want to learn from people, even if they're not Christians, even if they're from different religions, who can help me focus on on Jesus more. Uh, So, for example, uh, here in Vancouver, we're close geographically to what we call indigenous peoples, what you would call in America Native Americans. And, And so Native Americans have this sweet grass ceremony where they take some sweet grass. It's, it's, it's not marijuana, it sounds like it, uh, but it, it smells a little bit like sage. And in their tradition, they will light it and let the smoke waft over them. And, and they say that when the smoke wafts over us, it's a reminder that we want our hearts to be cleansed, made sweet, and that we would say nothing false or insincere to the people around us. Now, that reminds me of the Holy Spirit, and if I can be inspired by that image to invite the, the wind or the cloud of the Spirit to envelop me so that I become a sweeter person, a person who reflects more of the honesty and truth of Christ, then that's something that is transforming me in a Christ-like direction. And so I feel that it's good to be open to pray for a discerning heart, but to say, God, what can you teach me through not only my sisters and brothers in Christ, but people people beyond my faith tradition? And as we're willing to learn from others, we also find that they're more open to hearing about our Christ story, and so it can become a wonderful avenue not only to learn, but to share the greatest treasure of all, the treasure of Jesus. That's excellent, Ken. I, I just want to thank you so much for being with us here on the Church Leaders Podcast and for sharing your heart and um, and just your encouragement to pastors and ministry leaders who are really struggling with, you know, this 
this push to pursue achievement and validating ourselves upon, you know, what we create and what we do and just the encouragement to kind of step back and to slow down and to center ourselves really in Jesus and to make that an intentional part of our lives rather than just something we kind of just slip in. So I really appreciate you being with us, brother. Any last words that you'd like to share? You've got to the ears of, of pastors and ministry leaders. Um, anything that you'd like to share before we, before we wrap up? Yeah, I would say that uh, these words are just coming to my mind now from my uh, former late Professor Haddon Robinson. You know, he said something along the lines of, before uh, you serve others, allow Jesus to serve you. Uh, you know, someone else has put it this way, uh, put on your oxygen mask first. Uh, that's not selfish. Uh, make sure that you are breathing in the life of the Spirit, enjoying God, savoring God. And as you do that, Christ's beauty will shine through you. His Spirit will move through you in ways that you're not even aware of, and people will be drawn to Christ. It's beautiful, brother. Well, thank you again for being with us, Ken. And uh, Ken is the senior pastor of 10th Church in Vancouver, British Columbia, and his newest book, Survival Guide for the Soul, published by Zondervan, and you can go to survivalguideforthesoul.com to learn more about that book. Ken, God bless you, brother. Thank you so much for all you're doing for the kingdom. Thank you, Jason, for all you're doing for pastors. I appreciate you and, and, and your great work. Awesome, brother. God bless you. God bless you, too. Thanks. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us on this week's episode. Every week as we are putting the episodes together, we're thinking of you, our pastors and ministry leaders, and striving to provide insightful and inspiring interviews as you seek to grow as a kingdom leader. So we hope you're finding value from the Church Leaders Podcast. And if so, we'd certainly appreciate you taking a few moments to head over to iTunes and leave us a review. Your positive reviews and ratings help other church leaders more easily find our podcasts so they too can benefit from these interviews. Again, we thank you in advance. And if you have any comments, any questions, suggestions, or ideas for guests, I would love to hear from you. You can send me an email to podcast at churchleaders.com or you can connect with me on Twitter. Finally, you can find this podcast as well as other great faith-based podcasts on the Faith Play app. It's available for both Apple and Android. And so we encourage you to check that out as well. So until next time, this is Jason Day encouraging you to love well and lead well. You've been listening to the Church Leaders Podcast. For articles, videos, and free resources that will help you lead better every day, visit our website at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.